episode was recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Euro Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We honour their histories, cultures and traditions of storytelling. Hello and welcome to Plated 3 Food Memories. I'm your host, Savas Savas. of a century my catering company Plated has contributed food experiences for some of Australia's most extravagant and intimate soirees. Food connects us. It connects us to people, to places and to moments in time. These memories shape who we are and what we value. So come and break bread with my guests and I as they share their food memories, revealing far more about themselves than what they've tasted. In Australia, we have a bucket of colloquialisms that never go off in the sun. One that springs to mind describing our next guest is You Little Beauty. Melanie Tate is an award-winning journalist, author, radio broadcaster, playwright and one rip-snorter of a storyteller. When she was just 20 years of age and living in London, she wrote the smash hit The Vegemite Tales, which staged in London for seven consecutive years and has been seen by more than 60,000 people. Her most recent play, The Appleton Lady's Potato Race, has continued success since its Sydney premiere in 2019 and is being performed by theatre companies across Australia as we speak. Hot news off the press is that a movie adaptation is underway very soon. Not only a talented playwright, Melanie has authored the book Fat Chance, My Big Gastric Band Adventure, and amongst all of her writings has spent many years on air as a reporter and broadcaster for the ABC. If you've not heard of her before, get ready for some bloody good yarns. Without further ado, I introduce you to the wonderful Melanie Tate. Melanie, welcome to Plated Three Food Memories. Oh, it's so nice to be here, Sava, and thank you so much for that lovely introduction. Oh, anytime, anytime. <laughs> Melanie, you say potatoes, they say potato, I say a great big poo on the front lawn. You're oh the heiress of the big potato yeah. in Robertson. I, I am indeed. Well, the quarter heiress. I'm one of four kids, so it's not going to make me rich if um, my parents end up, you know, in another land and I, I inherited it. It's not going to make me rich, but yes, I am the big potato heiress, which is, I've been told several times, Sava, that I need to sort of lead with that. I need to introduce myself. Hi, I'm Melanie. I'm the big potato heiress. But I, I so far I haven't. I leave people to discover that for themselves. So it's a tourist attraction, isn't it? Well, you could call it that. Yeah, I guess. the um, it, it certainly has become, since social media, it's become a lot more popular. I mean, it's always been there. But we first moved to Robertson in 1985, early 1985, and it's been there ever since I can remember. But it's only in the last few years that people have really started to make pilgrimages to it, you know, like buy some merch, get their photo taken with it. Because it does. It looks like a poo on the front lawn, like a really over... Look, it does. 
but it's a nice healthy one like if that fell from your body you'd be pretty happy that would mean that you're getting all your requisite nutrition <laughs> well did, are you aware of any other poos in the world a potato uh, yeah yes this is from my home country there's a small potato village and they erected a i've just sent it to you they've just erected <laughs> <laughs> after a bumper historical bumper <laughs> season oh wow um, there's a great big potato and it stands vertically and it quite looks like a throbbing virile chode, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. I hadn't seen this one before. I always feel like I'm up to date in potato news and I hadn't seen this one so well. Wow. Do you think, <laughs> see how they've decorated it like a Christmas tree. With oh, it's very special, isn't it? It's but, really, it looks like they've had the same designer as the one that did ours, doesn't it? Well, I mean, tragedy struck. And vandals oh, toppled the statue. What? And yeah, well, have a look at the headlines. So they knocked it over, and some of the headlines read Cypress Big Potato Can't Stay Erect After oh. Rough Night. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, another, so they, oh, and another one. Penis like potato statue toppled two months after erection. <laughs> <laughs> People are so clever, aren't they? Oh my gosh. So is it going to stay there, I wonder, um, you know, thus toppled? Well, I don't know. I haven't, I, I couldn't see anything else that it had been resurrected myself. <laughs> <laughs> but it wow. was, but um, I think, I mean, had your Robertson potato been standing vertical, I think it probably would have gone yeah. the same. There's absolutely no way it could because it's so huge. It's like. <laughs> The size of it is, you know, if you've ever been to the outback and you see those road trains, you know those road trains, The um, it's like as big as one of those. So it'd be really hard to topple. People have done their best to vandalise it over the years, though. I say vandalise it with um, inverted comments, though, because really the stuff they've done is good. Like somebody once put a um, Mr Potato Head eyes and moustache and, and mouth on it. And I feel like something happened once with foil, but I can't, like owl foil, but I can't quite remember what it was. But people have analyzed, but there, there's no, like you would need a bomb to get rid of the Robertson Big Potato Saga. There'd be no battles knocking it over. It's steadfast. <laughs> Melanie, five years ago, you wrote an article in The Guardian, and this, this actually quote fills my heart because the, it's the foundation of this podcast. Memories are rarely about people and places. They are about food. How do you feel me reading it back to you five years down the track? It's so interesting that you should find that and 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 read that out because that was from an article that's talking about a fairly contentious relationship with food, you know, like and hearing it back just on its own is really quite lovely, isn't it? It's like, of course, memories are around food. But I think in the context of that article, it was to show that I had never I felt at the time, and this has probably changed a bit, that I'd never really enjoyed my life outside of food and I'd never had a really hugely positive relationship with it. So it wasn't like you as a chef, if you were to say all of your memories around food, that's quite a beautiful thing. Whereas in the context of that article, it was about an unhealthy relationship I'd had with food and it was bad. But now, five years later, I kind of have a different relationship to food than I did when I wrote that article. And so I think I can look back on a lot of my memories around food really nicely, you know, rather than um, being kind of straight jacketed by them, if you will. Potato jacketed. 
potato jacket. <laughs> but I'm, I'm so glad you clarified that because the, the, you go on into the article and it is very personal. And, and while that one that I just read, that it filled my heart, I read further down and I was just like, I was really holding on because it, there were some bits there that were that were intense and full on and 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 very confronting for me just because of association but this little bit that you will go on to say food is the great love of my life mm. i've forsaken everything else for it lovers family and career it's also mm. been my great enemy it's owned me for such a long time and i'm not sure i can barter my freedom from it that was 5 mm. years ago mm. yeah um, you know what? I wrote that on the eve of going to have my second weight loss surgery. And I was very, very like I was, well, I was morbidly obese at the time. I was really in a bad way. And I've thought about this a lot since and in preparing to chat with you today about how I really wish that that love of food had have manifested in a different kind of way. You know, like to me, it was always, um, because I'd grown up as a fat kid and, you know, a fat teenager and a fat adult at a time when, again, you know, social media changes everything. You know, there wasn't much access to me for any kind of fat pride or, or body positivity movement. So I just felt ashamed of this relationship I had with food and this obsession I had with food. Five years ago when I, when I wrote that, I could never, I never sat down and watched MasterChef shows like that. I just couldn't. I just couldn't go near them. But now, you know, all these years, it's only five years later, but a lot, lot changes in five years. When I watch a show like that, I kind of feel regret that my love of food didn't go somewhere positive, like that it wasn't, that I didn't value it, that I didn't sort of think, oh, I love food, so maybe I'll go and be a chef or maybe I'll have my own cafe or maybe I'll learn how to um, make particular cakes really beautifully and share them with people. You know, it was always just a, a kind of a crummy relationship that I had with food. And now that I'm older, I really enjoy it a lot more and I enjoy sharing it with friends and sharing food moments with friends, you know. But some of your greatest work involves food. Yeah. It's so funny because the my last two plays have both had food in their titles so this is, this is what I mean like this. It's always kind of, it's always with me. So my first play was called The Vegemite Tales and my second play was called The Appleton Ladies Potato Race. So food is, it's in my life. It's there to stay. Also my parents, you know, I grew up, I grew up, um, they had a pub. My first job was in the bistro. Like my first food memories are like uh, sort of nicking these beautiful, soft, tiny bread rolls they had and uh and buttering them and and we had a it was one of those pubs that was the first to have a big grill you know like where you'd cook mm, your yeah. own, you remember in the mm. 80s how that was the fashion that you'd mm. cook your own steak and uh so I would I would wing these sausages to put on these tiny little rolls like it's one of my first food memories and working with Bella the cook in the in the kitchen and, and my parents now have a grocery store and they've had that since I was about 11 so I've always been around food. So it's it's nice that now, you know, like I'm getting into a better relationship with it because I've fought it for so long and I wish that I hadn't because I have been around. It would have been nice just to embrace it a bit earlier. But, yes, my plays tend to have um, have food names, not that much food in them. 
actually, but, you know, enough, enough to keep actors happy. I do want to ask you, what does the world look like through a fat kid's eyes? Well, back in the 80s, it was kind of, it was pretty difficult. You know, I I can remember, I moved around schools quite a few times and I can remember thinking with the new schools, like always being worried that I didn't have the uniform correct. You know what I mean? You know how there's, there's ways of wearing a uniform and, and I didn't feel like I could wear it short or I didn't feel like certain socks could fit me or whatever it was. And I remember I'd go into these schools and think, okay, they're going to tease me for a couple of weeks. Like they'll tease me about, um, being fat for a few weeks, but then they'll get to know me and it'll be fine and they'll like me. And it's always what happened. But there were things I feel like I was really left out of. And I don't know how much of that is because of my own self-esteem or whether it was actually societal. You know, like I never had uh, boyfriends through high school or primary school or anything like that. I remember um, when I was in year, maybe in year five, we used to play uh, we used to play Perfect Match at school. You know that that show, Perfect Match. Greg Evans, Dexter. Greg, I was always Greg Evans. I was never one of the people dating. You know, I knew that I was always Greg Evans. You never went on and, the Oriana. No, that's right. I never. Take I never me on the Oriana. Yeah, I never Stupid got on the Oriana. Girl. No, I, I was always Greg Evans. So I feel like I was left out of a lot of stuff. But I also feel like. Um, it really formed, you know, it, it formed something in me in that I think I'm a pretty compassionate person and I think I'm pretty accepting of, of all sorts of issues in people because, you know, I had that one from such an early age that, you know, it was like it was everyone's problem too. Like it was like my, my whole family's problem, my, my eating problem was my whole family's, you know, and I... I used to steal food. I used to do all sorts of things. And it was really, it was really growing up as a fat kid in the eighties, I think was pretty difficult, but at the same time, um, I don't know if I'd swap it out now, you know, like, but see my sister, my sister was a fat kid too. She didn't have the same experience. She doesn't have the same adulthood, the same self esteem as me. So it's a really complicated thing. And I hope that things are different for kids today. I think they are because they've got more role models around, you know, they've got more, you see more fat people on TV. Like you never saw like the only fat person who was on TV when I was growing up was Oprah. But she was the only one. Like there was never. And fat cat. Anyone else. And fat cat. <laughs> Humphrey <laughs> B. Bear. You know, like there was, there was no one. Yeah. And so. A message, just before we go into your food memories, do you have a message for the fat kids of today? What would you say to them being how many decades away uh, from that part of your life? What message do you have for them? Oh, I would say more to the to their parents and the people around them, just to love them and not try and change them, you know? And, and I'd also say, yeah, I guess to the kids themselves, like you are who you are on the inside. That's what matters. Like... All the other stuff doesn't matter. Like what matters is that you're a good person, that you're good to other people, that you're not cruel. I don't know. It should be the last thing I feel like that people care about or know about you. You know, we're all so much more than what we look like. Don't you think, Sava? I agree. And actually just sitting here listening to you, I just, I just go, go back to that little line from Kath and Kim where Kath says to her daughter, 
Kimmy, stop eating those chips, please. And Kimmy turns around and says, I've been on a diet since I was five years old. Yeah. And we laugh about it now. But when you yeah. kind of no. look at it next to your story, it was, it is a thing, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, Kath and Kim's actually full of stuff like that. You know, like when I was growing up and had eating disorders, I was always looking for things. So I used to, re- like they, there was a play called What's the Matter with Mary Jane that was all about anorexia. And for most people, the list of things that they did would be horrifying, but I took it as a manual. You know what I mean? Like I remember reading Portia de Rossi's um, autobiography and reading that as a, you know, not even realising it, but thinking, oh, like I can remember the exact amount of calories she she ate a day and the exact amount of, you know, I can still, and I'm 42 and I read that book, what, 15 years ago. So, yeah, so anyway, Kathy Kim was full of little um, jokes that, that I remember taking on as diet advice. Do you, do you think, I mean, do you think the writers thought about that back then? Of course not. No one thinks about it. Like people don't think about it with, I always think it's really interesting, you know, when it comes to something like suicide, for example, we're not allowed to report the method of suicide. And yet with eating disorders, uh, the, the method of eating disorders is constantly reported, the things that people do. And we see it on TV a lot. Like there's a show called Physical and I just can't watch it because it's about disordered eating and I just know that it sort of dangerously gets in my head even now. You know, I sort of have to be very careful with that stuff. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. Um, a life of disordered eating just leaves you slightly crazy, Sava, slightly crazy. I mean, we're all a little bit crazy, and um, and I think <laughs> that's that's part, the, that's part of the mix, especially what we've been through. Yeah. But um, but you seem comfortable with what has gone on. Like you're, yeah. you 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 you've been at you've worked through it. Yeah, I have, but I've also I'm also I think I'm I have the awareness that. I just think it's probably going to be something that I live with on and off throughout my life. You know, I feel like it's going to always be in and out of my life. Like that there will be times when I'm not, um, when I'm really good about it. And there'll be times when I'm not, you know, and I've had, I've, I've had a few kind of, cause I had all of these, these weight loss surgeries that actually made my body quite unwell. And during COVID I had to have, have another, another operation to sort of fix up a whole heap of stuff. And that just kind of gave me a heap of perspective about it too. And I just feel like I, I do, I, I try to enjoy food now and be in the moment with it. I'm not completely fixed, you know, like I still have a lot of hangover of that stuff, but I'm in a pretty good place. But the trauma is gone. Yeah. Yeah. The trauma is gone and there's an understanding of how to live with, with it. Yeah. Yeah, and, exactly. And there's hope, and there's hope for you. Whereas I guess once upon a time it would have been very oh, difficult to yeah. even see yourself in this really glorious spot. Yeah. Well, when I wrote that article five years ago that you quoted from, oh my god, I thought my life was over. You know, I I thought that there was no getting out of it. That ah, uh, yeah, see, so. I didn't. I did. I didn't get that. I just was. I thought it was the very beginning of um the new me that's how i read it and oh that's I, so great oh that's yeah great. that's that's how i read it but i think maybe that's how i wanted it that's what i wanted for the writer for yeah. you that's what i yeah. i saw because it it's just you know i always ask people this question are you hopeful for the future because 
there is no other option but to be hopeful for the future of our families, uh, you know, our working environments, the world, the universe. Yeah. So when yeah. I when I read that, I just took so much. I won't lie, my heart broke and it got fixed and it got broke again and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I was like, bleed, blood, where's the Band-Aids, tissues? But I, I, I did finish that article thinking, and I will post it on the, in the show notes, I did finish that article feeling very hopeful and that was thanks to the way that you were honest about it. Um, so oh, thank you. Good. Oh, no, thank you for getting that from it. That's great. Shall we start your food memories? Absolutely. Melanie, let's start with your first food memory. So my first food memory that I've got to share today is um, about this, the greatest meal I feel like I've still ever had, Sava. Like it's still the greatest meal I have ever had in my life. And it was when I was about 22 or 23, I was traveling with my two best friends. We lived in London and I had just had a really, really busy season of a show. And I just wanted a holiday like a relaxing holiday. I th I'm one of those people, Savar, with holidays. I just want to go somewhere, buy a beach and eat good food. I'm not, sadly, I wish I was more of a backpacker, sort of, you know, backpackers. <laughs> Why? No, I've never stayed, I have actually never stayed in a backpackers in my entire life. Like even with all my traveling, I'm such a, not a baby, but I just really like nice things. So I had planned for these two friends of mine who are backpackers um, for the three of us to just stay in an all-inclusive re resort in Portugal and just be by a pool. And we got there and they're like, there is no way we're spending a week in Portugal at this place. There's no way. Come on, look, we're going to hire a car. We're getting out of here. So we did that. And we ended up sleeping in our car as we traveled for a week around Portugal rather than um, stay at this all-you-can-eat inclusive I'd found on the Algarve, you know, which, which, which was a bit average, but still. But back back then there was no there was no internet back then. You'd find it on the back of the newspaper, no. wouldn't you, in the travel, like there'd be exactly. ads and yeah, ads exactly. and ads and ads. Yeah, like in TNT magazine, not even in TNT magazine, like probably at a travel agent, you know. <laughs> and and all I wanted was they had my one of my favourite foods in the world are Ruffles chips. You know Ruffles chips? <gasps> Do you remember those? Yes. Yes. From the, again, from, the, I love them. The so I just wanted Ruffles. Yep. yep. Crinkle cut. They're the best. Ruffles chips and, um, and Portuguese tarts by pool. I would have been happy. And they were like, no, we're going on the road. So we ended up in this place called Lagos, um, which is by the seaside. And we found this little restaurant inside and it was all grilled fresh seafood, like oh. straight from the ocean. And the thing that I remember and that I went back, like we went there for lunch and then I insisted we go back there for dinner again and it was just as good. You know how that never happens when you go back somewhere, it's never as good the second time. And it was grilled sardines and they just grilled these full fat, chunky sardines with salt. And I have been chasing that meal my entire life since, Sava. I've never had grilled fat sardines like that since and I've tried. Roll me in sardines and feed me to the circus clowns. I am <laughs> sending the clowns. I I could actually eat them till they came out of my nose. Like I oh. really, I adore them. I like them in oil. I like them on the barbecue. Oh. I like them with parsley. I like them with, you can't get enough lemon. And I'm often in, when I'm eating them in Europe, it's the summer and there's no lemons around, right? So there's, the lemons are yeah. scarce or they're very dry. Jesus, yeah. I love a sardine. Keep going. Sorry. It's oh, how memory. do you do it? How do you do your, how do you do your sardine when you cook them? Well, gr grill, 
I, I put them yeah. in between like that the, there's like a like a scudder, which we call um and you on on the hot coals and you charcoal yeah. them just whole um, until the, whole absolutely obviously you you yeah. gut them and then you and then I once they come lots of olive oil and then once they come off the scudder the grill I just pe- I eat the skin I chew yeah, through the hair so I chew actually through everything except for the bones and then I just sit there please don't speak to me while I'm doing it because it's like surgery <laughs> But sardines and parsley and oil oh and lemon, God. it's the best thing on earth. It's the best ever. <laughs> and, yes, after we finish talking to each other today, I'm going to go down to the Marrickville Seafood <laughs> Place and try and get some sardines and try for that 1800th time to reproduce those sardines from Portugal and fail but try. You know what I'm saying? Now, just the trip went awry, a skew, a skewer, a rye yes. bread. What happened on that trip? <laughs> <laughs> it was because my my friends were still, you know, like I've always been, I've always been like when I was 10 going on 40 and then I guess when I was 20 going on 50. And so I just want comfort everywhere and they wanted to travel because they were still in their 20s. And the, so that's why it went awry. We had to, because we slept in our car. We also, and this is terrible, um, my, 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 I'm not going to say my best friend. I'm not going to identify who this friend was that was Just driving, say- <laughs> but she was one of our friends, the only friend who could drive a manual. So she was driving us everywhere on the wrong side of the road and she's a terrible driver. And when this is, this is such a teenage thing to say, but when we got back to London, my jaws were really sore I was like, I haven't been clubbing in ages. Why would my jaws be sore? <laughs> and it was because I'd been so stressed while she'd been driving. And one afternoon while she was driving, she actually hit the arm of this poor old Portuguese lady because, you know, the streets are so skinny. She hit the arm of this lady. We stopped in the car and we're like, we're so sorry. Can we have it? She's like, go, go away. Go away with her arm that could work. It was terrible. It was terrible. It was, um, but, but, you know, thank God for those sardines because they made the whole trip worthwhile. How many times did you go back for those sardines? Uh, only the, tw- like, we were only there for a day because my friends wanted to keep moving and, you know, seeing Portugal. I would have stayed there <laughs> the entire time because not only were the sardines good, can you imagine what their grilled prawns were like? Can you imagine, like, everything was beautiful there. But, no, we only went twice. Can I tell you one other thing, too? Between the three of us, over a week, we ate 69 um, Portuguese tarts. Between the three of you? Yeah. And so I would 60, say I probably ate most of them, 69. 23. That's like three a day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, uh, that's what we did quite easily. <laughs> Is there a difference between a Portuguese Portuguese tart and a Portuguese tart made here? Well, it just depends where you get them, don't you think? Like a Portuguese, like the there's somewhere that does, oh, um, Sweet Bellum in Petersham does mm. them exactly like they're from Portugal. And I have to be really careful. Over COVID, I started to order them like eight a day. Well, not eight a day, but in packs of eight. Yeah. And I've overdone them for a while. I can't go near one. I can't go near them for a while. But those Portuguese tarts, every like the consistency of excellence in Portugal is much better than here, I'd say. But you can still get a really good one here, don't you think? Absolutely. Um, where are those friendships now with those two girls? Well, one of them is still my best friend. I won't say whether she... Um, oh, dirt. She, she is the one that hit the lady with the arm. <laughs> <laughs> she die. I hope she never listens to this. We're she sending it to her. She knew that I, yeah, that if I'd put this actually on tape. 
And the other friend, bless her, she got married fairly young and moved to the eastern suburbs. And and we didn't I think that her husband might have thought that we were a bit racy. He was like quite he was very adult. And so our friendship sort of, you know, sometimes they do when I think like I always felt like he didn't like me very much. He thought I was a bad influence. I wasn't the one that suggested we we drive around in a in a car for a week. I was the one that wanted to be the old lady, you know, all inclusive. So I'm not sure why that. But yeah, so we're still sort of we're still we still stay in touch with the other friend. But um, you know, we had this little car called the Cleo, and it was called the Good Ship Cleo. But the the um, inhabitants of the Good Ship Cleo. There's two of us that still speak a hundred times a day <laughs> and every now and again recall that poor old woman in her arm and wonder how she is. <laughs> Melanie, you do this thing where you play with age and sensibility, like old lady, young person, 10 years older. <laughs> Tell me about that. I find that very fascinating. I think that there's something, um, and, you know, in another one of my food um, memories, we'll touch on this again. I don't know. I just feel like... Um, I grew up a lot earlier than all my friends and I I don't feel like I was ever really like a teenager and I don't feel like I was ever, um, you know, like my siblings, for example, all went to university and, and stayed in colleges at university, you know, like this sort of rite of passage. I would never have done that. Why? I was kind of like, I, I have never been somebody who's, even though I made a joke about my cheeks, um, being sore from not being clubbing, I could count on one hand the amount of times I went clubbing and took drugs and stuff like that. Like I just have always been, and I don't know, Sava, whether it's um, that I'm quite inhibited and uptight or whether that's just my character, that I'm kind of like an old lady, kind of like a, a bit of a nana, you know, like in my chosen food and my chosen <laughs> holiday. Just Just the other day, actually, I was somewhere with my brother and he took me somewhere and whatever I ordered, he said, oh, my God, you have the same taste as Norma, who was this woman that was in our lives as we grew up, kind of like a surrogate grandmother who you would have loved her food situation. Everything was from scratch. You know, she cooked everything from, um, you know, she would have porridge from scratch and she would have, uh, she would make make beautiful pies, you know, with everything from scratch, from the pastry to the insides, you know. And I'm a bit of one of those kind of people. And so I think like my friends sort of joke about how Protestant an old lady I am. So, (laughs) yeah, I don't know where it comes from. Do you wear pearls? No, I absolutely don't wear pearls. I am adamant. Sure, it's it's not far away. Like right now I'm in the coolest thing I own. I'm in this Kayleen Whiskey Wawa jumper. Um, But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not usually like she's an artist that I love. And I love this jumper, but I'm I'm pretty yeah I'm I'm pretty tame. Not no pearls though. That said, if somebody got me like a strand with like three sets, I'd probably be into that. They just need to be a bit jazzy, not your actual pearl pearls, you know. The the Duchess of Robertson. <laughs> exactly. You know, like I found the other day. Oh, I was saying to my friend, I really needed gumboots, and so of course I googled which gumboots the Queen wears. And I ordered those. So it, it sort of um, like. I did the same thing. Yeah, did you? 
I love the queen's fash, don't you? Like her fashion is so great. I just wish they'd get her a decent bra and she'd sort of like. They're falling a little, aren't they? They've they've fallen off the shelf. But a whole life they've never had a decent bra on her. But I kind of think that that's deliberate because they didn't want to make her sexy, you know, because all of her clothes, when you look at them, if they just fit a bit better and she had a good bra on, they'd be fantastic. (laughs) God save the queen from us. Exactly. Do you, how do you feel about the Queen's summer? Are you a fan? Um, oh, God, I feel like I don't know a life without her. Um, I Somebody gave me, I, I, I've always quite liked her and I've always, I like watching what she does and how she speaks and how she carries herself. And I try to model myself because I'm a hot mess at the best of times. But somebody <laughs> said to me once, a, a big Republican said to me once, okay, Australia versus England. In cricket, right? You're sitting mm-hmm. in the royal box next to Her Majesty. She's a Queen of Australia. She's also the Queen of the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Who is she going to? Who is she going to cheer on? I was like, yeah, oh, we know yeah. who she's 100 percent cheering on, don't we? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, and sort of when you put it like sort of in that context, I I feel um that's where I land. That's actually right. the oh yeah is where I land. Um, what happens next is really up to us as a nation, isn't it? isn't it? Oh my God. Do you know what? I kind of hate them all, but I'm obsessed with them. Like they would be, if if I was on the Einstein factor or hard quiz, they would be my subject. And I'm so ashamed of that. But can I just say though, if you, I've done a lot of research on the way that they eat and the traditions of the mm. food and food really punctuates the, their day. You know, yeah. the breakfast looks like this. Then there's a, 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 a more, a, there's a morning coffee, something. Then lunch is, looks like this. It's a sit down scenario again. Then we just power through the day, but then we stop around about four or four tea and cucumber so sandwiches, great. just <laughs> enough sustenance to get us through to the dinner where we're hosting a basquillion people and having to smile and have those sore jaws. And they make a thing, they make a thing of taking everything from their estates, which obviously you really want to do. Um, But a friend of mine um, went to a couple of garden parties, a lovely girl who didn't wear a hat, and she said, (laughs) the food there is disgusting. So um, at the the garden parties. So she said we left and went and had... um, pret sandwiches afterwards oh that's that's a that's a shameful story for the queen like she should be ashamed of it. i think there would be nothing more shameful than if somebody left my house after a meal and had to go and have a meal somewhere else i would <laughs> before. that would be the absolute worst <laughs> exactly well i always make sure people leave with something because i always overcook because i just don't i just don't have limits i've always got leftovers as well but i'd rather have leftovers than people hungry like oh, that's the way we've been brought up that it's just so disgraceful to leave people hungry at a, at a, any sort of event. I once went to a wedding where they didn't greet us with um, hors d'oeuvres <gasps> and food was so late that we went out to a pub before we had food. No, no, no. And I was, I just like, that would be, if, if somebody had that story to tell about my wedding, I would be just, I would be devastated. Well, your second memory is about going yeah. over to someone's house. Yes. So when I was a teenager, I lived half an hour from the biggest town and I had singing lessons every Wednesday night. And um, what I would do is I would go to one of my besties' house, different bestie from the one that... Um, <laughs> the bad driver bestie. The arm, yeah. <laughs> um, and this one, I would go to her house and 
I would have dinner and then someone in her family would drop me at my um, singing lesson and then my father would drive from our country town and pick me up. And those Wednesdays were like some of the happiest of my life because my friend's family was very functional, like very, very functional. Their Describe house had a functional. Just, just functional. Like they all, like they all got on really well. The mum was sort of like, um, uh, you know, like she cooked cakes and things like that. They had a fridge that had an ice machine. They all got on. They didn't fight. There was no fighting in the house. You know, like they were just a really sort of nice family. Plus I was in love with the elder brother, you know, who was a few years old. It was just, and he played the piano some afternoons. It was just wonderful. And they always, the, the mum cooked all this really sort of healthy food. Like my, my parents, it was a bit different because they both worked uh, really hard in our pub and our supermarket. So they weren't really at home all that much. And dinner was very much like chops and which, you know, I love chops and macaroni cheese from Kraft and, you know, like some peas and some some um, carrots that had the shit cooked out of them, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and um, and so so this place to me was like a restaurant. You know, it was the first place I ever had a salad with just, um, it must have had just olive oil on it. Just tastes to me like it had salt water on the leaves coating it gently, you know. It didn't have French <laughs> island dressing all over it. The iceberg, and it was, wasn't iceberg lettuce, you know, it was kind of, Anyway, this place, I remember this one night we sat down and they announced we were going to have fish. And I thought, oh, my God, I hate fish. But I didn't, I didn't hate it because I'd never had it before. I'd never, you know, I was 16 or 17 and I'd never had fish or I think I had prawns probably, but never had fish. And I thought, what am I going to do? I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to offend these people that are so nice to me, who I love so much, you know, who I'd sort of really latched onto. And they, the the mother of this house served up these gr- this grilled fish with salad. And I thought, well, I need to be polite and just try it. You know what I mean? Pretend that I'm into fish and maybe I can eat, you know. Do you remember the fish? Oh, my God. I think it was, so it was some sort of white fish. It must have been cod or barramundi, I think now. Um, in my head, it's barramundi, but I think it was probably a cod. And it was just grilled perfectly. And I had a bite of it. And I just thought I was in heaven. And I remember going home to my mum saying, why don't we ever have fish? Can we have fish? And then we started to have sort of, you know, fish, like crumbed fish from the, the, the bird's eye, which is still delicious. I still love that. But this particular fish that day at my friend's house, I think really opened me up to a life of trying new foods, but also like how really, like it was so simple. It was just grill under, under a griller or something like that with this salad with the olive oil on it, which I've still never been able to make as deliciously as as my friend's mother. And it was like life changing. It was so life changing. There is there is an education in choosing good produce, isn't there? It's not Yeah. You it's, it's you can kind of catch it by osmosis. It's not something that you know. Like we we um speak to the fruit nerd very soon and he talks about the way he chooses fruit. Um, oh, and all the and the rest of it, and speaking to him, you get a vibe that it's he it's inherent, it's in his genes, it's in his blood. So I do understand a lot of times why certain families don't have certain things in the, in in their diet. Mm. It really, you've got to be around it. My mother and my grandmother, the good cooks, not great cooks, mm-hmm. but where they kick ass is they they know where to get the best of 
everything. You just, if mum says this is where you get blah, this is where you get blah. There's no negotiation. And there was in the village where granny, when they lived, there were several ladies who made halloumi cheese and, and fresh ricotta. There was only, Theoda Sudla was the only woman that you would go to. And the, <laughs> oh my God, the ricotta and the, and just the, it, you would get it. And it was always warm because she made it every day. Oh, beautiful. There's a, there's a yeah, thing about beautiful. that. Too. So, um, French dressing. Let's go there for a second. <laughs> and Italian dressing as well. You know, the, the ones that are in the um, thing. But, you know, I think about my mother with food and my mother had a, had always been put on diets herself. Her mother had been put on diets. So every, it was never about enjoying food. Food was always the enemy. And we lived in a country town, you know, out of the, out of the way. Of course she didn't know about um, where to get great grilled fish or how to how to sort of season a salad in a way that wasn't French dressing or Italian dressing. I did want to touch on this about like the look of the body over, you know, the enjoyment of food. You say your foremothers, you know, mm. were all part mm. of this. Where do you think that came from? I don't know because, like, I think we've got this story in our family which always kind of makes me laugh a bit, but it's not funny, but it is a bit funny is my grandmother, um, who was, she's an interesting, interesting woman. She didn't get married until she was 40. She didn't have the first baby until 41, 43. She was so-called fat, right? But, you know, like I remember she's probably maybe what we would, we would have like a size 12 now. Anyway, her family nickname was Fatness to the point where her brothers, you know, would take her into work for the day and they'd say, oh, Gregory, I don't believe you've met my sister Fatness. Like that's how they would introduce her, which I find so outrageous. I don't know why I also find it a little bit funny. But um, so, so you know, they were kind of policing what they ate their whole lives. And I'm sure it comes, it's something to do with being marriageable. Like it's something to do with sort of that sort of heterosexual patriarchal paradigm about, you know, being attractive. In fact, I'm sure that it is for certainly for my mother's generation. So I don't know, but it it does mean that there was always kind of this fight with food. So, you know, um, low fat or um, going to Jenny Craig and all that kind of stuff was just part Limits of... Limits Biscuits. Limits Biscuits. I don't know those. What are they? Limits Biscuits. There was this thing kicking around at the very beginning of the 80s where there were, you would buy these low-cal biscuits and it was a biscuit diet and you would eat Limits Biscuits. Oh like God. three you biscuits would get you through the day. And, in fact, oh a God, friend that... of mine just recently said, I'm on a cookie yeah. diet. And I was like, oh, my God. Wow. Oh, my God. That What's is the one diet I haven't been on or heard of. How amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I kind of feel like, um, and, and, you know, my friend's mother was also first generation Australian. So she was, I think she might've even been born in Russia. So they had a, really had a food culture as well that was around fresh food. We just didn't have that, you know, being Protestant, you know, bloody Scottish people trying to be thin whose bodies don't want to be thin. So yeah, I, I think that's probably where it came from, Stella. Let's move on to your third food memory. So this is a this is a recent one, and it, I think it has a lot to do with my new kind of acceptance of food uh, and um, the wanting to share it, and also the little old lady that's inside me. Um, so I absolutely like if I was going out for a, 
an afternoon, which is what I would prefer to do rather than a night summer, as we've established earlier. <laughs> I love to go for an afternoon tea, you know, where there's beautiful sandwiches and, you know, maybe a scone or something like that. And I was talking to a friend of mine about this. I thought we should just have a CWA afternoon. And so I cooked up a heap of – I used to be very good scone maker when I was younger. I used to win second prize at the Robertson Show with them. Um, so I cooked up some scones and some sandwiches and, and got some, you know, teas and uh, cups of tea and stuff like that. And we all sat around and had this really civilised afternoon tea. And it was really beautiful because it was uh, just in between lockdowns. So it was at a time when I think that we we're all really appreciating being together, you know, and being in a room with more than three people. So I, I kind of, you know, I had the most beautiful raspberry jam and I had whipped the cream myself and all of that kind of stuff. I'd really sort of made it very, you know, very, old, very much like Norma, this person I was telling you about before that, had been a big influence in our lives. It was a real Norma afternoon. In fact, when Norma died, um, I got all of her cups and saucers and little plates. And so I used all of them. You know, they're all mismatched and, and beautiful. And so I sort of laid it all out like that. And it was really just such a special time. What were some of the fillings in these CWA sandwiches? I think it's very important to point out that, of course, they're all buttered. Like, don't come near me with a sandwich that's not buttered, Sava. Don't you think? Like, don't Butter or margarine? No, butter. Don't come near me. I mean, if you don't have any butter, you've got to margin rather than having it dry as some... I just cannot believe how many times you'd go to a shop for a sandwich and they're dry bread. Anyway, so butter. And then, of course, I had to have some cucumber sandwiches because, you know, that's what we were doing. I also had egg, um, you know, egg curry. With Keens curry powder. Of course, of course, (laughs) and mayonnaise um, in it, all mixed together. And the other filling I had was uh, salmon, French onion and mayonnaise all mixed together, slopped on the sandwich. It was a very special, special afternoon of sandwich. So that would be my third food memory because it's just so simple and delicious and lovely. Let's spend a little minute in... um... Country Women's Association. <laughs> yeah. So the Country Women's Association is, of course, famous for its scones. I lived in Hobart for uh, nearly five years and they have a CWA shop there. And when I discovered that there was a CWA shop, I thought that I had died and gone to heaven because it's all knitted goods and cakes. You can buy fresh cakes every day. I kind of love the idea that someone is still doing all of those things, you know, like I feel like that's really sort of part of my heritage in a way, you know, the the baking of cakes and the making of scones and all of that kind of stuff. The guarding of tradition. Yeah, there's something really, well, there's something so comforting about all those things. Like none of those, like scones, cakes, sandwiches with white bread, we're not really meant to eat them in this day and age, are we? Like we're sort of, we're told to stay away from anything that's got too much white flour in it. The fact of the matter is all those things are so comforting and I just love that there's a space where you can still get them and enjoy them. There is a brilliant compendium, which is I think much bigger than Stephanie Alexander's Cook's Companion of the CWA Mm -hmm. Women's Recipes that are a collection of recipes Mm. from the entire of Australia and they are written so simply and beautifully with probably five or six ingredients, six or seven steps, and they just celebrate the best of 
what yeah. that association stands for. Yeah. You know, I think there's a real hankering for that at the moment too. Like I've found a few posts that I've put on Twitter about CWS gones or something like that have gone off. And also just recently in Sydney with the opening of the um, Bob Hawke Rec Centre, I can't remember what its full name is, but that whole place is about nostalgia. You know, it's about this kind of nostalgia for a certain kind of 1980s Chinese food and, you know, the the desserts are uh, like there's deep fried bayonetta and stuff like that. Oof. And people are just mad for it. Like I went... I went there the other day. I took my nephew there for lunch just um, just because I'd had a good time there a few weeks ago. And it was packed on a Tuesday lunchtime. I think people really just want to reconnect with all that stuff. And I think food feels like it's really part of it, which is why our CWA afternoon was so special because it's like you're reconnecting with your grandma or your nana or, or whoever it is that, that gave you that comfort food to begin with. I have a, I have, I myself have a cupboard full of um, old crockery cups and teacups and plates that I've collected from people who've passed, and I call it the deceased estate cupboard. <laughs> and, you pull it, and every time I say it to people, say that belonged to blah, and we're like what? And they call it that, and then you can actually see them pushing the cup away. Like, do you have something that's not so fine? I don't want to break it. No, it's the, oh, the it's no, no, it's they're scared of the ghost of dead people drinking coffee yeah. cup. <laughs> Pleasant and lovely to use, though, aren't they? And that's an, you know, that's another thing about that Bob Hawke place. They've got all everything that's served to you is served on those old flowery plates that Nana had. You know, like it's just some it's kind of really comforting. Not so long ago, you'd find a lot of those plates at markets, and they'd be like one or two dollars fifty exactly, cents, thirty yeah, cents. Yeah. And now, good luck finding them. Good yes. luck finding them. And if you do find them, they've got a ten dollar, you know, price yeah. tag plus on them. Yeah, if you're lucky. I was in Mollymook recently. They've got a bric-a-brac sort of store where they've got lots of those little tea, cup and plate um, combinations. Some of them were $70. Go home. Like, how dare you? Yeah, I know you I know you got that at Benny's for $3. How ridiculous. Nostalgia really coats every single one of your food memories. Yeah. How did you feel about putting them together for me today? It's so funny because when I was asked to do it, I thought this would be the easiest thing I've ever done. Like, because like I said, like every, every, you know, if you were to name a place that I visited, I could tell you like the best food experience I've had there. Like I, I remember years ago in London, a friend who had a drug problem came to London from Sydney to get over his drug problem. He's like, I'm not going to take drugs. So I'm going to come over to, um, Australia, to London and make a clean start. And with about two or three days, he was using again and he'd found drugs. And I remember thinking, how does he do that? If I wanted to get a joint, it would take me three months to work out where to get it. You know, I have no idea. <laughs> and then I thought, wow, every place that I've visited, though, I can tell you where the best 7-Eleven or supermarket is. I can tell you where the best little restaurant is to have, you know, like, it's just that my um, addiction is not drugs. You know what I mean? So... The, the issue I had finding three food memories was three food memories that were nice memories to share on a podcast and three food memories that had a bit of a story around them because so often I can't find the story because I'm so deeply into the food, you know, and that was that was my, you know, I was thinking, oh, I, I remember this great meal I had at the at the Ivy in London when it was really fancy place to go. And then I was thinking, but who was I with? 
And what were we celebrating? I couldn't remember any of those other things. I could only remember the, the meal itself. So it was difficult for me in that respect to find something that had memories attached to it, not just of being in the moment with the food. Well, I've enjoyed them all. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Sava, for having me. And I hope I'm not too crazy a food guest because all your other guests are like, they love their I mean, I love food too, but I just have a bit of a complicated relationship with it. And I think, and I think all that is fine to talk about. There's, I mean, if we if we don't talk about all the different bits and aspects of things, why are we living? Like, if we're not, I think the whole purpose of talking about anything, whether it be a food memory, an experience, is just normalising it, so we all feel like we're in. Hey, you know what? We're all part of this thing called the human yes. race, and let's. Yeah. Let's make the world a better place. That's kind of the whole feeling about it. And we've been really fortunate that we've had such a shade, you know, a, a, re- a really beautiful shade of things. But before we pack you up and, and press stop on the record, I'd love you to share with us your social cause today. Oh, so my social cause that I'm sharing today is the Actors Benevolent Fund. Um, the Actors Benevolent Fund was formed actually in World War II um, when actors were out of work because there was a war and actors, you know, I think the world has this kind of perception that actors are all really rich, but I find in my experience that it's the absolute opposite because they get paid peanuts to do theatre and work very, very hard. They often will only get maybe two or three theatre jobs a year. Things are, I just find things are unnecessarily hard for actors when I just feel like they give so much, you know, so much of themselves and they're such extraordinary professional people. So the Actors Benevolent Fund is actually a fund that is set up for all people in the industry. If they're having tough times, there's like a whole heap of things that people, that the Benevolent Fund will do for them. So there are cash grants if people are in difficulty. Uh, There are food vouchers, you know, like a Woolies voucher or the like. There are sort of a, a couple of ways that the Actors Benevolent Fund will help people who are having tough times, either actor, you know, actors, um, technicians in the theatre, lighting designers, the works, you know. I think it's a really important organisation and I know that it helped a lot of people through COVID. Um, but, you know, it, it's an organisation that's needed all the time, particularly, you know, for older actors as well. Like I remember years ago I went out with um, a bloke whose father was a big star um, in a big tv show through the 80s and he was saying to me that his father like I just assumed that that would have made his father rich right like that he would just you know be fine for the rest of his life with it and he said no 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 it's not like America where you can do a show in America for 10 years and suddenly you're set up for the rest of your life like being an actor in Australia is basically just like having a job like maybe it's maybe for five years you're as well paid as a GP for example but then you've got a whole lot of life that comes afterwards where you're doing bit parts or theatre at $900 a week or, you know, something like that. So the Actors Benevolent Fund is set up to help actors who aren't having an easy time of it, you know, and need a bit of help. So I love it. Melanie, why is a performative and entertainment culture important to the pulse of a society? Oh, my God, it's so important because we first like there's the entertainment thing for a start so we all need to switch off and out don't we of our everyday lives like we need to find some escape from that so there's that aspect but there's also the aspect of seeing ourselves in things like at the beginning of our conversation remember I said that part of my issue being a fat child is I never ever saw myself anywhere like I never ever 
saw that it was an accept yeah representation that it was an acceptable mm -hmm. thing to be in the world like I just felt like a freak um and I think that you know kids nowadays seeing seeing fat characters etc and who are normal living normal lives etc you know that stuff's really powerful so there's the identification thing there's the 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 absolute importance of us telling our own stories and recording our own stories, um, you know, for posterity to show what our culture was like at this moment in time. Oh my gosh. And there's got to be so many other, and also just the personal aspect for artists, the expression of art is just so important and creativity. I think to all of us, like you do it through food. I do it through writing, you know, we're all kind of, we're all creative. So I feel like it's, it's so, so vital to all of us, you know, I do, I do. It's a long answer. I'm sorry, Sarah. <laughs> Melanie, thank you for being part of this with us. Um, it's been a real joy. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. You're such a joy. Oh, my gosh. I'll have to have you over for dinner sometime or for a CWA afternoon. A CWA. And, we'll, and I'll bring some of my deceased estate and we can cheese the dead oh, folk. <laughs> I will love it. That would be fantastic. I'll get the Jubilee tea ready. That's it for this episode of Plated Three Food Memories. For more information on the Actors Benevolent Fund, search for actorsbenevolentfund.org.au because having the back of our entertainment and performing arts community is a very Australian thing to do. In our next episode of Plated, I get ripe and juicy with Tan Trung, the fruit nerd. You'll never be able to walk past a watermelon again without the temptation of tapping it like a bongo. Plated Three Food Memories is made in partnership with World Stories, produced and edited by Lauren McQuirter, and original score by Russell Torrance. Make sure to keep an eye on the World Stories and Plated Insta accounts to keep up with everything Three Food Memories. Just search for Plated by Sava, Sava with a double V, and World Stories, W-E-L-D Stories. And we'd love it if you could spread the Plated podcast joy, tell your mates, leave us a review and follow for more. Bye for now and ora kali.